Did you know Sonova recently secured a historic $3 billion partial loan guarantee from the Department of Energy? In this Greenlight episode, I will speak with Megan Nutting, EVP of Government and Regulatory Affairs at Sonova, about this as well as Sonova's recent partnership with Franklin WH Energy Storage. Megan will also speak about Sonova's work with tribal nations, her transition into clean energy, as well as her insights on net metering and recent government incentives to expedite solar permitting. Thanks for tuning into the green light. Now let's dive in. I'm Catherine McLean, founder and CEO of Dylan Green. Uh, today we are at the Rise Leadership Forum in Minneapolis, uh, and I have Megan Nutting joining me. Hi there, live from my hotel room. Uh, and Megan is the Executive Vice President of Government and Regulatory Affairs at Sonova Energy. And normally in Denver. I, normally I am there, but now I'm at, we're in Minnesota. In Minnesota. Chile. Went to the Twins game last night. <laughs> good for so, you. Yeah, well, good for me, not so good for them. But anyway. Um, so can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about uh, your current role? Sure, I'm, I'd be happy to. Um, I work for a company called Sonova. Mm -hmm. We're a residential and commercial um, solar and storage services provider. Mm -hmm. So that means basically if you have a rooftop We'll, we'll help you get solar and put it on there. Mm -hmm. um, we're based in Houston, which is an interesting place for a solar company mm -hmm. to be based. Um, but we operate in something like 46 markets across the U.S. That mm -hmm. includes Guam, Saipan, Puerto Rico, um, D.C., and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And oh, then wow. the rest are states. Um, we, we, we make sure people have access to solar mm -hmm. and we finance it for them. We operate and maintain it for them. And then we work with a network of local dealers. So about 1500 dealers all across the country. So small business owners that do the sales and installation side of the work. Um, so we support their growth and their success. Um, and they work directly with customers on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Cool. And how did you transition into clean tech? I think you entered Cornell as a theater major. I did. Which is just an obvious entry path. <laughs> um, you served as the deputy press secretary for a senator, mm -hmm. as well as a World Bank consultant. Mm -hmm. So how's the solar industry and policy specifically? That's a really good question. <laughs> it's a good question when you put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I loved theater in high school. That was one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. And so entering college, I was like, I wasn't sure what I wanted mm -hmm. to major in. And so I figured, you know, I'd maybe try to pursue something I really, really loved. Mm -hmm. um, I also, at the same time, loved biology. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was that too. So I ended up majoring in environmental biology and doing theater on the side and right. sort of taking some classes in that. Um, and I have no regrets about that. I mm -hmm. feel like a lot of the work I do today is a lot of public speaking and a lot of explaining complex co issues to people and being able to, you know, be entertaining and concise mm -hmm. and clear and connect with people um, is, is something that's critical to the job I do. And so I have no regrets about mm -hmm. any theater that I've studied or done in my life. Yeah. Well, and also when I think of politics, I think of theater. It's, to it's totally theater, right? A lot like, of theatrics. Can, it's a lot of theatrics. And can we, are, are they really those people or are right. they playing a role? Right, exactly. exactly. I mean, it's so true. Um, and then, so I, I studied environmental biology and mm -hmm. then moved to DC where I thought the seat of power was. And so that's how I ended up working for um, Olympia Snow, who was a senator mm -hmm. from Maine, which is where I grew up. I'm always wanting to focus on environmental issues, mm -hmm. on climate change. Um, and so I was working at the World Bank when I saw this job posting for a company I'd never heard of called Solar City mm -hmm. back in 2009. 
And it was sort of unclear what was going to happen with the solar industry. It was pretty nascent. Was it going to survive? Was it going to be a thing? Mm -hmm. And they offered me a policy role. And I said, OK, you know, I'll take a chance um, and I'll, I'll learn about energy because this is this is a way to proactively address climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than talking about policies and sort of talking around it, here is a company deploying and taking action. Um, and so I moved over to rooftop solar policy and I haven't looked back since. Great. Uh, so the U.S. Department of Energy Loan Programs Office uh, recently signed a historic agreement to partially guarantee over $3 billion in loans originated by Sonova through its new solar loan channel, Project Hestia. Yes. Um, can you share more about this and the impact you think it will have for disadvantaged homeowners? Yeah, I, this is a huge a huge win and a huge program and a huge vote of confidence from the Department of Energy. Right. This is the first distributed solar loan guarantee that they've provided. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, it's an indication that they see what a critical role distributed solar can play in meeting energy needs and meeting reliability and in helping lower income families afford their electricity bills. Mm -hmm. Um, so what this is, it basically is a guarantee mm -hmm. by the federal government. So it allows our investors to be more comfortable with the lending that we're doing. Because every time we put solar on someone's roof, we mm -hmm. do it through a lease, a loan, or a PPA. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, it would be a loan. And so we have to raise money from our investors who have to be comfortable then with the credit profile of the customers that we have. This guarantee basically has the government serve as a credit backstop okay. and say that you can now serve lower credit score customers um, and we will take the first loss on any defaults. Okay. And so our investors say, great, this is a good way to get customers. We don't have to take so much risk on defaults. The government isn't taking 100% of the risk. We're right. taking some as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's a chance we could never, we'll never use any of this money. Sure. There, totally a chance that there will be no defaults and we'll be, we'll be, you know, we won't it's need this credit net. backstop. It's a safety net. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll be using this to, to predominantly serve lower credit score customers. Obviously, it's not a perfect Venn diagram of low income and low credit score. Mm -hmm. Many low income families have amazing credit. Right. Many higher income families don't have as good credit. Um, but to the extent that there is an overlap, that is who we'll be serving. Mm -hmm. um, the And 20% and of this fund will go towards serving Puerto Rico, which is basically in its entirety considered a low income right. uh, territory through the uh, according to the energy markets tax credit. Um, and because of the work we'll be doing, um, trying to serve lower income communities and, and lower credit score customers, the DOE considers this part of the Justice 40 initiative mm -hmm. that the federal government is focused on. So this is one tool in the toolbox for that. That's great. That's that is such an accomplishment. Three billion dollars. Just mind boggling <laughs> when you think about these numbers. <clears throat> that is mind. It, it blows my mind as well. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully we'll never use it yeah. once again. There's a good chance we won't. Um, so I know that Sonova has worked with tribal nations. So this is something I've been trying to focus more on the podcast lately um, and something I'm seeing some real traction with, which is really exciting. Uh, so you've been working with the Navajo Nation in partnership with Empowered by Light to make solar more accessible. Can you talk about this project and Sonova's work with indigenous people more broadly? Yeah, we worked closely with the Navajo Nation and Empowered by Light to put solar and storage on the Hard Rock Chapter House. A chapter house is sort of a meeting location for the community. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to lower their electricity bills. We wanted to provide reliability in case the power went out. Um, this is critical because 14,000 Navajo families don't have access to electricity. Mm -hmm. They live without, un, not connected to the grid without mm -hmm. access. And at the same time, they've been very vocal about not allowing um, coal mining mm -hmm. on their land. 
and good for them for doing that. Right. So uh, there's a really good synergy between the work we do and the the needs of, I think, a lot of tribal communities in that we promote energy um, independence and democratization. Mm -hmm. We want you to produce your own energy. We want you to have reliable energy. We want you not to have to depend on anybody but your own system, so right. your, own, your own solar, your own battery. Um, and so that's really resonated with a lot of the tribes we've spoken right. to. Last month, we were invited to participate in a symposium put on by the Alliance for Tribal Clean Energy. Mm -hmm. um, we spoke on a panel there. We did a cultural training. Um, we listened to what different tribal nations are interested in, what they need for their communities, what right. they're looking for. It's obviously different if you're if you're a tribe based if you're the Penobscot in Maine or the Pechenga in California, right. your needs are or the Navajo in in Arizona, your needs are different. Um, but the the broader context is we want them to be able to control and use their own energy and not have to depend on on outside forces for right. that. Right. Um, so we're working right now on becoming a preferred provider through the Alliance for Tribal Clean Energy. Um, we're really interested in, you know, we're having conversations with a number of tribes. Um, but the, the Hard Rock Chapter House was sort of one of our first entries into this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, we, we think it was a huge success. It was a great experience. Sonova and Franklin WH recently launched a first of its kind 200 volt compliant battery to help deploy energy storage for multifamily homes. Can you talk about this partnership and why you think it's significant? Yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of Franklin WH. Mm -hmm. um, I really like their battery technology. And our Sonova New Homes division is um, the preferred and only provider of this new technology. It's for multifamily homes. Okay. Um, it's called the A-Power battery, which mm -hmm. you can connect in parallel um, to form you know, a, broad, a bigger battery. And that is all controlled by something called the A-Gate, which is a management software. And you can put a bunch of A-Gates on a multifamily property. Okay. So this technology allows multifamily homes, you know, when you have different meters, but you, you sort of all are all in the same building, to still access battery storage um, and solar okay. energy. And so where I think Franklin is a, is a fantastic counterparty, they make fantastic products. Um, and we're really excited to be the only ones providing this option. That's great. Um, so permitting times and processes are obviously still a major challenge yeah. uh, for the solar industry. Uh, how do you think Congress can advance distributed energy resource system planning in the near future? So, for example, I've, I know that you've highlighted the solar automated permitting process or solar app previously. Yes, the solar app is a tool created by the National Renewable Energy Labs, NREL. Mm -hmm. um, it's an automated solar permitting process. So it's free for AHJs to use. Mm -hmm. AHJs are authorities having jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. um, they're the municipality, the city, the county, whoever's providing your permit. It's free for them. It's a tool that's free for them to use. And it provides instant online permitting for systems that comply with all of the codes and standards that they need to comply with. Okay. For, the, for the edge cases, those are sent back to the permitting office to actually approve. Mm -hmm. But it means that you don't have to show up at a permitting office with a physical, a physical drawing, physical paperwork. Right. You don't have to stand in line. It, it makes the whole process more efficient. And mm -hmm. it, it uses less staff time. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to deploy solar at the rate we need to deploy it in order to meet decarbonization goals, energy transition goals, we need to move these things through the process more quickly. Right. This can't take forever, right. the permitting process. Um, I think the state that's done the best with this so far is California. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they Last year, they passed uh, the CalApp program, which mm -hmm. provides HJs forty dollars to $100,000. They apply for this money to work on adopting solar app. Once again, mm -hmm. it's free from the government, but it takes training. It takes sure. staff time. So th this grant helps with that, all of that. And then California just passed... Um, 
uh, SB 379, which requires all jurisdictions over 100,000 people to adopt solar app or something similar. I think there's only one that's done something similar. And I think basically everyone else has done solar app. Um, At the same time, the governor just signed, I think this week, a bill limiting permitting costs. So nobody can charge more than $450 for a solar permit, which also makes all the sense in the world. Because as we talk about the cost of labor going up and the supply chain going up and Mm -hmm. panels, we don't want to add additional costs and time to this process. Right. Um, so some states like New York, they can charge over $1,000 just for a solar permit. It's a significant portion of the overall cost of a system. Right. Um, but California is doing a really good job keeping permitting costs down, making sure that the process is really efficient. It's fast for the customer. It's easy. It's easy for the installer. Right. Um, so tools like solar app that, you know, that the government created for us can can go a long ways to help with that. Do you think some of it, because we were talking about in the break about um, marketing, I mean, do, do you think some of it is is just people don't know about it, like marketing it to, to these different HP, H- HJs? HJs. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. They, they might not know about it. It might seem too intimidating. They yeah. might not want to learn about adopting it. There's also, solar app doesn't cover everything. So it doesn't cover new homes. It doesn't cover flat roofs. It might not take into account hurricane standards. So there, right. you know, there might be issues with that. The thing is, <clears throat> you can adopt it and it can apply to the things that it applies to, sure. you know, and then the permitting department can sort of one-off cover the rest of the permit. Right. So it can, it can take some of the burden away from any HJ, but we have tens of thousands of HJs around the country. Right. And so getting in front of all of them, letting them know that this isn't that scary, letting them... T- telling them how they can participate in the energy transition, speed it up, make it easier. It takes a lot of work. And so yeah. we, we need a lot of ambassadors. So if you're listening to this. <laughs> and you're an HJ. And you're an HJ or you know app. someone at one, <laughs> please tell them about solar app. <laughs> um, so the IRA has spurred many announcements about domestic solar panel, uh, domestic solar panel manufacturing. Um, what else is needed for the solar industry to overcome ongoing tariff and supply chain challenges? Yeah, this is this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the the Oxen ADCVD petition, the anti-dumping countervailing mm-hmm. duty petition, um, which I feel like you and your household may know a little <laughs> a little bit about one to two things. Um, obviously, that upended the industry. Yeah. I mean, it it threatened tariffs of up to two hundred and fifty percent. It threatened retroactive tariffs. It stopped the supply chain short for for a while. It was yeah. I think it was one of the darkest times in our industry. Yeah. Thankfully, the Biden administration put a two-year moratorium on this mm-hmm. and, and, and made sure that no retroactive tariffs can be charged. So the supply chain picked back up. So that, <clears throat> that moratorium ends next April. Um, but luckily, none of the tariffs can be retroactive. Right. And so the IRA obviously passed and includes a number of incentives for domestic manufacturing. So it includes, um, it includes like actual money for you know, each step of the value chain. So it's you know, a couple of cents per kilowatt um, per kilowatt hour. And then it includes um, a domestic content adder for the mm-hmm. ITC. It includes um, a, an incentive for building manufacturing facilities. So we have a lot of new incentives. The thing is, we're, we're, up, against, we're up against a lot. Right. China, so there's, there's sort of a couple steps in the solar value chain. You take, mm-hmm. you, you, you make polysilicon, you make ingots, then you do um, cells, wafers, and then modules. Mm-hmm. And so uh, right now, China produces 96% of the world's cells, right. um, 88% of the world's wafers, right. <laughs> um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the world's polysilicons. Yeah. And they also manufacture the manufacturing equipment needed to make all of those things. <laughs> yeah. And so 
it's expected by 2026, they'll be producing four times more than the global demand for solar panels. Right. So we're up against just this manufacturing powerhouse. We're up against very cheap modules. Right. Um, that being said, here in the U.S., we're expected to manufacture more modules. So the final step in the value chain right. um, than we need starting next year. So we'll be manufacturing more than we are actually expected to build um, starting in 2024. Um, but that doesn't mean we have every step of the value chain. For example, no new since the IRA passed, no new polysilicon plants have been announced. Right. Some have been unmothballed, but we don't have any new big announcements. Um, and the cell and wafer capacity is also still pretty limited. Uh, so net metering is another hot topic in many states throughout the U.S. Uh, what are some challenges states are facing with net metering and how important is net metering when it comes to solar adoption rates? The bottom line is if you want more solar, net metering is a proven policy that will get you there. Mm -hmm. More net metering, more solar adoption. Mm -hmm. um, that's the bottom line in all of this. Net metering is a policy decision. Mm -hmm. It's it's a uh, it's something for those for those that don't know. I know you were aware of this. Net metering is a credit for excess generation that your system produces that right. you send back to the grid that your neighbor then uses. Right. Um, you don't your neighbor isn't then having to pay transmission and distribution you know, or transmission fees or um, transmission upgrade for that. They're not having to pay for line losses. So there, it's it's an easy way for the utility to give you know to sell power to your neighbor. Um, and not have to incur all the costs they normally incur. So it's easy for homeowners to understand. Um, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you add it with time of use rates, because that tells you when the solar is most valuable, when the energy is most valuable, when it's not. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, a lot of utilities are very threatened by people producing their own electricity. Right. I think no surprise there. Their job is to sell and provide electricity. And if you are doing that for yourself, that is a threat, an under, you know, a basic threat to their business mm -hmm. model. And so they've come up with a lot of arguments against rooftop solar, against net metering. They like utility scale solar that they own. Sure. They, you know, they like community solar, which they can control more. But energy you control yourself somehow doesn't work for them. Is that mostly regulated utilities <clears throat> or both? Um, I say mostly regulated yeah. utilities. Yeah, munis and co-ops tend not to, you know, they, they work in the best interest of their customers right. and they're a nonprofit. But still, they want to be selling electricity to people, to you. Right. <clears throat> so the bottom line is that net metering is, is good for solar adoption. Mm -hmm. So it's a policy decision. If policymakers decide to change that, then that we have to call that what it is. It's a policy decision. But the fact is that individuals investing in rooftop solar and increasingly batteries at their homes helps other ratepayers on the grid. It makes it cheaper for other ratepayers. Mm -hmm. For example, um, in, the, in New England, it was recently announced that the third largest coal plant in New England is being retired. The reason given for that is that so many people have installed solar that there's no need for, to run this coal plant anymore. Wow. So that's good for people's health. It's good for people's wallets that they don't now have to pay for this coal plant, for the upkeep, for the right. fuel. Um, in California, a couple of years ago, the commission rejected a request for a few billion dollars worth of transmission upgrades. They said those upgrades were no longer needed because enough people had done energy efficiency upgrades and installed solar, um, distributed solar all yeah. you know all over that they didn't need to they didn't need to make the upgrades to the transmission line. So that saved other ratepayers billions of dollars sure. because some homeowners made personal investments in in these systems. So these systems are are oh and in Puerto Rico, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day. He said. He, he very firmly believes, given all the blackouts in Puerto Rico and all of the, um, how often generation doesn't match load, it's, mm -hmm. it's, under, it's under what the demand is, 
Um, rooftop solar has avoided innumerable blackouts in mm -hmm. Puerto Rico because it's reduced load so much that they don't need so much generation anymore to, to match what people are demanding. And so the amount of strife that's saved, the amount of money that's saved just mm -hmm. by individuals investing in solar on their own rooftops right. has helped prevent blackouts throughout right. the island multiple times. So these investments people are making are good for all other ratepayers. Net metering is, a, is something that's easy for them to understand. Um, if it is to be replaced with anything, <clears throat> it should be replaced with something that fairly values their contribution to the grid, mm -hmm. the energy they're sending back or the load reduction they're participating mm -hmm. in. California has one program where they're paying battery owners $2 a kilowatt hour at certain times when there's when there's peak demand right. um, for their battery energy. <clears throat> $2 a kilowatt hour is an unheard of sum of money. I mean, right. electricity is sometimes, you know, 8 to 20 cents a kilowatt hour. So $2 is a lot of money. Right. There's a ton of value in the services those customers are providing by sending their battery energy back to the grid. Right. Um, so all of it's a policy decision. All of it's a is a balance, mm -hmm. um, but but fundamentally, I think that the value and the energy that solar customers and solar and batteries customers provide to the grid needs to be acknowledged and needs to be adequately compensated. I was thinking about this when you were talking about the tribal nations, because mm -hmm. uh, it would obviously be a good way for them to be energy independent. Yes, but also to make some additional income. No. It absolutely would be right. to participate in um, what's called aggregations, right. virtual power plants, mm -hmm. distributed power plants, however you want to put it. But you put, you know, you 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 spread power plants throughout your community, which which happens with rooftop solar and right. storage, and you use that either as demand side management. Mm -hmm. um, you can use it in conjunction with EV batteries or smart thermostats. Mm -hmm. There's, so renters can participate right. in this too. Um, but you use it for demand side management when there's too much demand. You can manage. You you mat in, in this case you match. Um, demand to supply rather than supply to demand, which is cheaper for everyone. We've overbuilt our grid by 20% for peak times. If we could reduce that cost by 20% and instead of providing peak power, just reduce demand right. through demand side management, it would right. be cheaper for everybody. <clears throat> and so you can do that through demand side management or through actual capacity being provided if you have batteries through a distributed power plan. Right. And tribal communities could do this, low-income communities could do this, right. any community could do this. And a number are, there's a number of virtual power plants out there. And, and this is something we're doing through Project Hestia. Mm -hmm. We're making sure all of our customers that we sign up through that have the software needed to participate in a virtual power plant if they have that ability in their community. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for like talking to me and I've learned so much and thank you for everything you're doing for our industry. Thank you, Catherine. You're, <laughs> you're always so fun and amazing to talk to. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing what you're doing in thank the industry. You. Thanks for listening to the Greenlight Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the largest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry leading clean tech companies first post new openings from development to finance to project management by checking out our website, dylan-green.com slash latest hyphen jobs. If you're a clean tech employer and need help scaling your workforce efficiently with top tier candidates, contact me directly on LinkedIn.